There's no such thing as biblical courage apart from clarity. In the Bible, you're courageous for something. Something rises up in you, calls upon your focus and your resources and your obedience and your faith, because this has to be done. Welcome to Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Lorenz. Well, that clarity and obedience came to the Old Testament character Joshua. And how might those components of his life translate into what we experience today? Let's check it out. If you're new to our broadcast, Crawford has served in Christian ministry for over 50 years. He's been a pastor, conference speaker, seminary professor, and author. His books include Unshaken, Your Marriage, Today and Tomorrow, and Leadership as an Identity. Crawford is now retired from church ministry, but for over 15 years served as the senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church of Roswell, Georgia. These weekly messages come from his time at Fellowship. He now heads the leadership mentoring program known as Beyond Our Generation. Well, our text today is Joshua chapter 1. Let's find out why nothing in life happens apart from courage. We'll examine four pillars of courage that we find in this chapter. Here's Crawford Loretz on living a legacy. Many of you have heard me say this here. Uh, churches are not run the same way businesses are run. And don't get me wrong, there should be good business practices and integrity and accountability. That's all a part of it. But this is the work of God. And we steward what, what God wants done. And not just the ideas that we come up with. Now having said that, um, just because we feel, and this could be just empty vision talk, I suppose, but just because we feel that the best is yet ahead of us, uh, that doesn't mean, doesn't mean that it's gonna be a cakewalk. That nothing happens in life apart from courage and also in the Christian life. Nothing happens apart from courage. Uh, you can sit down and whiteboard stuff, you can parade consultants into a, plant, a boardroom, you can interact with people, you can go plug and play and find best practices and say, oh, we ought to do that. You can chase down a bunch of ideas and what, what have you, but none of that stuff means anything until somebody pulls the trigger. Somebody has got to be responsible for something. And courage is the thing that separates people who have just great ideas and wonderful intentions and those that God uses to make things happen. Not that they make them happen, but God makes them happen through them. Courage is everything, everything. You think about your life, you think about where you are, you think about decisions you've had to make, you think about all, and there's never been any advancement in your life until you had to make, most of us had to make hard choices, hard decisions about things. And sometimes you had to stand by yourself. Courage. Joshua chapter 1 is probably, in my mind, the most uh, uh, incredible text in the Bible when it comes to delineating what courage is all about. In fact, there and there in this short nine verses, there is a fourfold descriptive definition of courage. It's absolutely remarkable. Now, let me just paint the picture a little bit here in order to get the context. Uh, Moses, the great lawgiver, has died. It's absolutely incredible. God had used Moses for 40 years to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. 
uh, toward the promised land. He left Egypt with approximately two and a half million Israelites and they wandered in the wilderness. And God did some very extraordinary things through Moses. Everything from going into Pharaoh with nothing more than a stick and a promise to all these miracles in the, in the wilderness and how he provided and how he spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai and the tent of meeting and all of this stuff. And this young dude named Joshua had a front row seat. Tragedy strikes, however, because Moses, near the very end of that time, got a little ticked with the children of Israel. God told him to speak to the rock, and he was angry with their grumbling and complaining, and he struck the rock, and God said, "Eh, no, you can't make it into the promised land. And the reason for that is that I've showed you too much of myself. So they have this funeral. Moses is dead. Now Joshua is the man. Now can you imagine? God called Moses the greatest man who ever lived. Joshua saw how God used him. We ain't talking about hearsay. He saw the miracles. He saw the intervention. He saw the power of God on this man's life. He saw his intimacy with God. And he's next. And then, so here we have it in Joshua chapter 1. It's interesting to me, God does not speak to Joshua, come to him via a prophet. He doesn't give him a dream. He doesn't give him a a third party to say something to him, to deliver a message. God himself comes to Joshua, and it's almost as if he's reaching out and grabbing him by the lapels and gives him a lecture on courage. Basically, he says, Joshua, if this is going to happen, you're going to have to be courageous. Now, courage rests upon four pillars here in Joshua chapter 1. Four pillars of courage. And I'll give them to you, and then we put some meat on the skeleton. A clear assignment from God, assurance of God's presence. Thirdly, focused determination and the word of God. The very first thing that courage rests upon is a clear, a clear assignment from God. You pick up this narrative, this amazing story, in, in verse 1 it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over. I want you to see the juxtaposition of those words. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over. Moses is dead. Now, no matter how great Moses was, and he was great, we just assailed some of his virtues, what God had done through him, Moses is dead. Listen to me. Be very careful of hero worship. When a man or woman of God dies, nothing of God dies. Nothing, nothing of God dies. It, it, it's wonderful to admire people. It's great to give them honor where honor is due. But don't worship folks, because when they die, your hope dies with them. And God was saying to Joshua, no matter how great he was, he's a man. And when you die, God says next. That's the reason why you shouldn't get arrogant about yourself. You shouldn't get overly attached to God's assignment for your life because it's really not about you. And don't think you're indispensable. Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, go over and get this land. I I love the verbs there. The land did not belong to them, and the promise wasn't theirs until they went out and got it. 
They could have passed out binoculars and say, oh, look, Mary, there's our land. You know, right over there, we can build something right there. And there's right over there where the house should be. That's where the farm is. You know, I'd say, no, no, it's not yours until you get up, go over and get it. Some of us use spiritually sounding words to camouflage our fear. We'll say, oh, I'm just waiting on the Lord. Oh, I don't want to run ahead of the Lord. You actually think you can run faster than him? <laughs> and we make it sound all oh, so very nice. When really, really, when you pick at it a little bit and you lift up the hood a little bit, it's just fear. So God was saying to him, okay, 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 Joshua. Uh, Moses is dead. The assignment is still there. And then he he reiterates the assignment. Basically says, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, uh, into the land that I'm giving to them, the people of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I've given to you, just as I promised to Moses from the wilderness and, the, and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites to the great sea. Basically, what he's saying is, I'm just reiterating the assignment. Moses is dead, but the calling is still there. And the calling needs to be fulfilled. What I want to say here is this. This is the first big pillar. That courage rests upon a clear assignment, a clear assignment from God. There's no such thing as biblical courage apart from clarity. Clarity is the reason for Courage. In the Bible, you're courageous for something. It's not just that you have a bombastic personality that sucks all the air out of the room. It's not that you're rude. It's it's not that you're so overwhelming with your personality. It's not that you're a mega extrovert and, uh, you know, and and, and, and people say, oh, what a courageous person. No, that's not biblical courage. Biblical courage has to do with clarity. First, there's clarity. Then there's courage. Something rises up in you, calls upon your focus and your resources and your obedience and your faith because this has to be done. Do you have a this has to be done in your heart? What clarity has God given you about your life? And what we need to pray for, for our elders and for our church As we think about the future, there are all kinds of possibilities, but quite frankly, all of us are getting a little bit too old to be chasing down possibilities. Where's the clarity? Where's the clear voice? What what is it that God's hand is on? What, What does he favor? What does he want to do? Where is he blessing? Where's the clarity? By the, reason, by the way, that's the reason why we pray and fast. Not that God is uncertain, we are. Courage number one rests upon a clear assignment from God. Don't go anywhere until things are clear. Stop spinning our wheels. I wish I had embraced that about 15 years ago. Stop spinning your wheels. Stop rolling the dice. Stop wasting your breath. Stop wasting your time until things are clear. First of all, courage rests upon a clear assignment from God. Number two, courage rests upon the assurance of God's presence. Now, look at these prepositions here. This is absolutely wonderful. Verse 5 says, just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. The last line of verse 9, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You know, I did a study a number of years ago of all the callings of God in the Bible. I got to tell you what an amazing confidence builder that is. Unbelievable. 
Did you realize that there's never any calling of God in the Bible where you read the, 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 these callings, these incidents of God calling people, where it's also in the immediate context a statement about God's presence? Unbelievable. And I think there's a reason for that, obviously. See, what I've said this before here, God does not do double billing. And this is where Christians get screwed up, I think. Where they're looking, they're looking primarily for fulfillment and they're trying to use the will of God as a way of self-actualization. A way to feel good about themselves. Doing what God calls us to do is not, is, it's not, it's not therapy to help my low self-esteem. It's not about me helping God do anything. Doing what God wants to do, his assignments that he gives to us, they're, they're pathways for him to disclose something of himself both to you and to those you are affect, who are affected by what you're doing during your moment in history. It's all about a statement concerning God. This assignment was never about Moses and Joshua. It's not about you. Then secondly, I think it implies, just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. All the resources that you need to do what I called you to do, I will give them to you. And then thirdly, it implies your neck is not on the line. Stop making ministry, stop making the will of God a, a, sort of like a referendum on your worth. I had to learn that in my 30s. I had to learn that. It's not about your worth. It's not about your significance. It's not about how good you are. You need to release yourself from all of those performance expectations. It's about God. It's about what he wants. I mean, it's almost as if God is saying to Joshua, now, Joshua, seriously, you think I'll tell you to do something and then say, lots of luck? When, when our youngest son, when he was in middle school, I guess he was about seventh grade or so, uh, Brendan's like 6'1", 6'2", buffed and all that stuff now, but he, he didn't get his growth spurt until he was like 10th, 11th grade when he was in uh, high school. So when he was in like middle school, he was an average height, maybe a little, little shorter. You need to understand this little factoid here also. My wife was president of the PTA. Now, my kids didn't like that. She was president of the, of the, P, the, the grade school PTA, middle school, and high school. And they said, can't get away from mom. And uh, so, just so you know, so this one evening, after dinner, we were having family devotions. And after that, I just sort of went around and asked the kids a prayer request. I said, B-Boy, what do you want, for, want, want us to pray for you about? He said, Dad, I want you to pray for, uh, there's this kid named Jazz that's messing with me. Jazz? Messing with you? What do you mean messing with you? He said, Daddy's like slapping me upside the head, knocking my books out and all this stuff, and just trying to humiliate me, just messing with me. I said, you want us to pray for him? He said, yeah. And I'm thinking to myself that at this point, yeah, I know what Jazz needs. We don't, you know, this could be a short, I mean... (laughs) You know, and uh, um, my wife quickly jumped in because she knew in these matters we were prone to have different views on how to handle these things. And so she jumped in and just said, 
and she said, oh no, Brendan, you, you, know, you need to go to the vice principal, he's in charge of discipline there, and you know, there's an order and chain of command, a way to do these things is zero tolerance in terms of fighting in school, we don't want you to get in trouble, and they're there to protect you, and then my son just looked at me, and I'm going, oh, you got a decision. Um, happy wife, happy life, so I said, All right, do what mom said. So. Uh, about a week and a half or two weeks later, we were out having a Bible study and uh, uh, breakfast and Bibles. I used to do that once a week with my boys. And so um, at the end of the time, I was getting ready to take him to school. And I said, okay, B-boy, what do you want me to pray for you about today? And he said, Dad, why don't you pray for Jazz? He's messing with me. I said, that boy we prayed about the other week? He said, yeah. I said, now, now, you need to define messing with you now. You ain't, are you talking about the boy's mama? What, what are you doing? He's just out of blue. He said, said, no, Dad, he's just like that. He just, like, does that to everybody. He's messing with me and this kind of thing. I said, well, you know, Karen wasn't there. And uh, (laughs) so I said, I'm going to pray, but the Bible teaches, son, faith without works is dead. So uh, (laughs) that actually happened. So I got into real trouble about that later on. But at any rate, uh, we... we, uh, we, we went to school, and I parked a car, and I said, Brendan, I want to walk in with you. I went in there, and there was a vice principal and principal right there. Um, that, this is sounding more dramatic than it really is, but um, they were, out, were right in front of the library, and the kids were coming in, and I said, can, can, I, can I have a word with you? And so we went into the library there, and I just said to them, hey, look, I, I don't want you, Karen and I are on your team. You guys are doing a great job here, and uh, you got a very difficult task, and we understand it, and so we are really, really with you. Uh, but I got an issue that I need to talk to you about. And uh, I looked at the vice principal. I said, now, my son has been telling us about this kid, Jazz, who is just putting his hands on him and, and doing all this stuff. And uh, we want him to do this the right way. And I looked at the vice principal. I said, did, did, did Brendan come to you? I knew the answer. And he said, I wish I had a camera. The body language was really, mm. He I said, uh, yeah. Yeah, he did, and then he went to start talking fast about what Jazz is going through and how they have so much stuff going on. This kind of. And then I just said to him, I said, now, I, I don't want this to sound confrontational at all, but I do want to be very clear, very clear with you. This is no longer my son's problem. It's not his issue. It's mine. It's mine because he did what I told him to do. And at this point, It is my issue, and I guarantee you this boy is not going to put his hands on him today, and you will make sure of that. Can you imagine God ever asking you to do something? Calling you to do something. Raising you up to do something. And he says to Joshua, what are you, nuts? You think I'm I'm not going to be with you? Not only that, as you obey me, you're going to experience my intimacy. You're going to experience my presence. You're going to experience my resources. You know, Moses, nothing I ever asked him to do did he do it by himself. Courage, biblical courage, rests upon a clear assignment from God. Number two, biblical courage rests upon the assurance of God's presence. The assurance of his presence, that he is with us. If he's called us to do it, he will translate it to reality. We may not see all the fruit here, but that's not my business. My business is to obey. Thirdly, courage rests upon a clear assignment from God, the assurance of God's presence. But number three, courage rests upon focused determination. 
I, I just love this text here because, you know, he was, uh, God was not just being purely inspirational with Joshua. <laughs> Listen to what he says here. Now, you know, God doesn't have a speech impediment, so when he says something three times, the same thing. I mean, verse 6 says, be strong and courageous. Verse 7 says, only be strong and very courageous. And then verse 9 says, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? I think that there are three implications from this. One is a subtle one, and you see that by reading the whole narrative, verses 1 through 9. One is, is that, you know, courage is really not the absence of fear. Courage is not the absence of fear. I would say, and I'm not trying to be, be cute here, courage is fear. Courage is fear in a God direction. In other words, if you fear God, if we fear God more than we do people and circumstances, we will always come out courageous. And so I think that's the first implication. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. In other words, contextually, remember who's talking to you. Are you afraid of what might not happen? Yeah, I am afraid of that, but I got to tell you, I'm more afraid of disobeying God. So courage is not the absence of fear. It is the direction of your fear. Do you fear God? I think secondly here, what he's saying is that, look, courage is like a muscle. It's interesting to me that he doesn't dialogue with Joshua as to whether or not he wants to do this. He doesn't say, well, Joshua, sit down. Let's talk a little bit. How's your courage barometer? <laughs> Do you like to take initiative? He didn't, and I'm only being halfway funny, but he didn't, he didn't go into any of that. The assumption is, no, do you believe me? I didn't ask you what you bought to the table. Moses tried that business with me. He said, I can't do this. He said, what, do you, what do you have in your hand? Just give me what you got, okay? I'll do the rest. So I'm saying to you, and I'm not, I'm not asking you what you bring to the table. I'm asking you, will you obey me? Too many of us are not doing what God called us to do because we're taking too much inventory of our deficiencies. That's not the question. The question is not what you bring to the table. The question is who's asking you to do it. That's what the issue is. It's not about what I have and what I don't have. My goodness, my goodness, if I, if I, if I only acted on what I, what I had, what I didn't have, I wouldn't be here at this church. I wouldn't have done anything. So it says it's like a muscle. Use it. You, you, you obey me. You use what you have, I'll give you more. 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 Then I think the third implication of this is, is, is look, 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 <laughs> Joshua, man. You gotta get ready to cross over this Jordan River. I need to tell you something. These people over there, they're not gonna have a, a lemonade stand out there and cards that they're gonna pass out saying, welcome and take our land. Are you serious? You are going to be opposed. Crawford Loritz, our speaker here on Living a Legacy. Here are those four pillars of courage once again. Number one, watch for a clear assignment from God. Two, rest in the assurance of God's presence. Number three, have focused determination. And number four, have as your source the Word of God. 
And what about Crawford's point that said, courage is fear in a God direction. If we fear God more than we do people and circumstances, we will always come out courageous. Well, some helpful teaching today. And Crawford returns next week with part two of his message, Call to Courage. If you joined us late in today's broadcast, the complete message can be heard on our website, livingalegacy.org, livingalegacy.org, or stream it on your favorite streaming platform. For Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. Thanks for joining us. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.